This is Two Foot Toad. This is Dr. Walter Aka. And Dr. Will Cradock. As you can tell, Dr. Cradock's back on there, on the podcast again. Um, we, it's, we, it's been too long. It, you know what? I, 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 was, I, was actually, I was actually allowed back on this time. It's amazing. Well, I don't know if we wanted you back on, but that's another story. Uh, <laughs> but we actually have a roundtable today because we wanted to talk about where the future of dentistry is going. So what we did was we basically got two of our good friends, you know, uh, to basically come on and, and talk about dentistry. And the good thing about this whole entire panel is everybody's coming from a different point of view, from a specialist to someone who works in the corporate um, uh, dentistry model to someone who's a private practice owner to someone who's a non-for-profit. Uh, so, again, we're going to go ahead and bring everybody into it. Um, so we'll start with in the introduction. So, Dr. Uh, Kyle Dumpert, what's going on, sir? How you doing? Good. How are we doing today? All right. And then <laughs> she she yelled at me earlier. But anyway, Dr. Kendra <laughs> Petit, how you doing? I'm fantastic. How are you? Good, good. So I, I didn't get yelled at this time. But anyway, so <laughs> uh, Dr. Petit, I want you to give us a quick summary of, um, you know, your background, because you've never been on this podcast. So, you know, people would love to hear no, about that. No, I haven't. Hi, everyone. Um I'm Dr. Kendra Petit. I am a 2014 graduate of the University of Pittsburgh Dental School, School of Dental Medicine, I guess I should say is correct. Um, dentistry is my third career. I went back to dental school after being out with a master's degree in social work for 10 years. One of those uh, non-traditional students, which was pretty awesome. I also went to school on the Army HPST scholarship. So after graduation, I went and served a year and a half in the Army, medically retired due to some physical um, limitations and spent a year at home with my two little people. And then after that year, I went and uh, started working at a federally qualified health center or what is commonly called a community health center um, doing dentistry. So that's what I do five days a week for the last year, almost two years now. So it's pretty wow. enjoyable. Yeah. Excellent. I'm that person that was in dental school that was the old head. You see, she says old. Me. I say mature. And, 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 and I say rot with wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I don't see, know. I was, no, I was just as coolest as everybody else. Right. And see, that age, that doesn't discriminate age at all. You know, we, we all come in there pretty much useless until a certain point in, in dentistry. I don't care how old you are. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Dr. Dumper, please give us a little summary. I graduated from uh, University of Pittsburgh as well, 2013. After graduation, did a one-year general practice residency at the VA hospital in Pittsburgh. Uh, moved into private practice where I worked for a year in Pennsylvania in my hometown, uh, moved to Hawaii, worked in private practice there for a little over a year, uh, bounced back to Pennsylvania where I worked for uh, a corporate office, Heartland Dental, and they have, I think, probably over 800 offices nationwide now. Uh, moved back to Hawaii where I worked for a smaller four or five office corporation for about a month. Moved back to Pennsylvania where I purchased a two dentist practice in my hometown and converted it into a one dentist practice. And I've been owner of that for the past year and a half. All right. Perfect. Wow. Right. Right. So, I mean, this, this again, this round table is solid right now. Um, but let's talk about something. I want to ask a question. Do you guys think if you, you know, when you guys have kids or have kids right now, would you let them in the future do dentistry, knowing how expensive dental school is now? No. 
uh, at this point, I, I think it's becoming more and more cost prohibitive to attend dental school with debts approaching four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars, sometimes more, unless there are different routes that are taken, whether it's through the military scholarships, which uh, Kendra can talk about, or some other means. But for uh, the vast majority of people coming out that don't have you know, a rich uncle to pay for everything, paying back a, a student loan of $500,000 uh, in the, the dental climate today isn't an easy thing to do. Okay. Kendra? Um, I, I have actually had this conversation with some other dental colleagues, and we all have children. And I am also, I'm like Kyle, I'm solidly in the no category, mostly because the cost is skyrocketing and you put that four years of dental school on top of four years of undergrad. For some people, they are have, they have to go get a master's degree to bolster their application and the prospects for when you get out. And I'm sure we'll get into this, but the prospects for getting out can add more debt. If you want to go into private practice, there's practice loan debt. So when do you actually get to live life where you're not working to pay off debt? Um, it just, there are so many other avenues to living a happy, healthy, successful life that um, don't necessarily require the hard work that dentistry puts in, um, particularly as we talk about the reduction in reimbursement rates. So I'm, I'm in the know. I want my kids to, actually, I want my daughter to go on Broadway so that I can go to all the Broadway shows for free. <laughs> oh, yeah. There you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah. The next, she can maybe create a show, you know, like Hamilton. I actually ended up yes. paying oh, for God, those yes. stupid tickets. They were expensive for no reason. <laughs> I'm, still, I'm still mad about that. And, I, I, and I'm mad at my wife for having a birthday around that time. But that's another story. <laughs> Uh, Dr. Craydog, what do you think? Um, I mean, I think I'm with the, the group here and saying no as, as things are right now. I, I can't, you know, recommend that for my daughter just because I know the hardships that, you know, dentistry is facing. Um, I mean, when I went to school and graduated in, in 2010, uh, I had a completely different outlook of how things were going to be once I was actually practicing. You know, as we've talked about many times, once you actually get in the real world, it's like nothing that you, it's nothing even close to what you thought it was going to be as far as, you know, how productive you can be straight out of the gate. And, you know, like she said, the reimbursement, there, there's so many other avenues that are not as taxing that uh, you could easily do and be, you know, happier. Yeah, I agree. I actually would say no as well. Uh, but the funny thing is what I would actually do, would I would want her to get into like a business and then maybe own dental practices along with dentists run it and basically have them be the person that answers to her like a corporation have those people be the ones that are toiling and having miserable lives <laughs> listen, <laughs> listen i mean and, and you know what's sad though but this is exactly where dentistry is going anyway right we know that that's where pharmacy went we know that that's where medicine went and we thought that's where that, optometry went. Optom exactly. Yeah. So we thought that we were actually going to be smarter and do this. But all we've ended up doing is screwing each other over because if I don't accept a, a low, a, you know, a lower rate, guess what? The next the person across the street will. 
So then exactly. I'm competing against, we're basically competing against each other for what reason? Instead of coming together, we're actually competing against each other. So that actually leads me to my next thing. Dentistry is going in a way where, you know, we're basically getting paid less for what we do, right? People don't appreciate what we do, don't appreciate the value that dentistry brings to their lives. Whose fault is it? Is it the insurance fault? Is it our, is it our fault as dentists? One of the areas that I practiced, there was kind of a, a good old boys club of dentists that nobody in town accepted dental insurance. They had an understanding with each other that, look, there, there's enough patients to go around. We can, we don't have to follow the rules of the insurance companies. We'll be happy. Uh, but a new group came in town. They said, look, we're going to start taking insurance companies. Uh, or signing up with insurance companies and that ruined that whole town's business model. And they, once the insurance companies get involved, patients start to think, well, my insurance company's looking out for what's best for me. If they're not going to pay something for something, then I must not need it. And then with the amount of reimbursements that they give you, which 40, 50% of what your office fees are is what they, Will actually pay a dentist plus all the denials for insurance claims and all the headaches of signing up for an insurance uh, dentistry dentists did it to ourselves signing up with these insurance companies and then patients kind of brought it on themselves also thinking that the insurance company is actually looking out for them when they're actually looking out for their stockholders preach preached <laughs> <laughs> dr Crater. <laughs> I, I couldn't i couldn't agree more. i mean it is it is a mix of you know both dentists and you know the environment of insurance but i mean you always have somebody that if you're not willing to take insurance will take insurance even if you if you don't take insurance they're still looking for you know a deal and so they'll take your treatment plan down the street to, you know the dentist number two and you know dentist number two will probably say oh, i'll do it at the same or a little bit less and so it's created this competitive market where we're all just you know we're kind of fighting for crumbs almost sometimes it seems like and um you know i don't know why patients automatically believe that their insurance has their best their best uh, health in mind but you get i literally in my practice now i would say more than half of my patients come to me because their insurance tells them that they you know to come to me. I, I try to create a, you know, a reputation in the community, but even that said, you know, half of my patients are coming from insurance specifically. And that's, you know, it's, it's, it sucks to have to deal with that. Right. I am working at a community health center. You know, we're supposed to be the catch-alls, right? For the folks who can't come and see you all in private practice. We're supposed to be there to make sure that everybody can get seen who needs to be seen. Well, we still take insurance, right? So I do have some patients who come in that have dental insurance. So today, one of our front desk workers told me that a potential patient called in. He has dental insurance and he just wants to make me be an in-network provider. So he's going down this laundry list of providers that he sees on his insurance website and can't understand why my name isn't there. And he wanted to come to our clinic because that's where his medical home is, but I'm not with his dental insurance. So he wants to go where his insurance 
allowed him to go or will pay for him to go, but he didn't like any of the dentists on the list. So, you know, there's that, that people don't necessarily understand what their dental, and I try to tell people, you don't have insurance, you have a benefit plan. It gives you certain benefits, but it's not an insurance. And if you don't like it, you don't have to use it. And that's what our front desk person was trying to tell me. You can come here if you choose. You don't necessarily have to use your insurance, but they want to use their insurance because they think somewhere along the line it's saving them money. And it does to a certain degree, but it's not going to cover everything you need. And that's where I think people get lost in the sauce because they figure it's just my mouth. Why isn't this covered at 100%? Why do I have to pay you anything? Oh, I have to pay. Well, I'm going to go down the street where I have to pay less or nothing at all. Um, and being a community health center, they definitely think they should have to pay nothing at all. Okay. Well, let me on, on that note, right? Because insurance companies aren't paying what we think that, you know, we as dentists think should be getting paid. The question is, do you think the quality of dentistry is going down to basically accommodate for that, right? So if I'm not getting paid what I should be getting paid, maybe I need to see two people instead of one in that hour to make up the difference. So maybe I might cut corners here. I might not do the best work that I uh, should do. Absolutely. So the, you, think, you think the quality the, of dentistry is going down? In any business or in the business world, you have a McDonald's where it's high quantity, push out as much stuff as you can at a cheap price versus you know, a, a Michelin restaurant, Michelin rated restaurant where you're going to get high quality. It's going to be expensive, but you can take your time and do things right. And by, by trying to have an insurance based model, there's very few of us that can push out a, a fantastic product at the cheapest price available the, at the quickest time. There, there's, there's no overlap of all three. You got to, I think the the one chart says you got to pick two, whether it's price, quality, or speed. You, you can only have two of them. I mean, I, I think we all try to do our best job every single time, every single case. Um, but I mean, I would be lying if I if I said that, you know, you 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 do have certain fiscal responsibilities and things of overhead. You have to pick something. So um, I mean, whether it's you, you know. Um, spending a little extra time getting to know your patient, which I like to do. You know, when I'm, when I have to see two patients in the time slot of, of one, um, it gets, it can be, you know, I have to pick one. So it's like, Hey, Miss Jones, I kind of like you. I'll spend my time with you. Mr. Jones, uh, not so much. I'm going to keep moving. Um, no, I mean, I, I think it totally, ex it, it expands. And I mean, you, I've, I've had so many patients that, you know, they complain to their previous dentist and most of the time, it's something like, oh, I just thought it was a mill in there. Like no one got to know me and it was just about, you know, they just, they stayed really, really busy, but no one really cared. They didn't care when I came and they didn't care when I left. And, you know, it's just sad because, um, I think when I went into dentistry, you know, one of the things that I, that I loved was, hey, I'm going to get a lot of, um, interactions with people. That's important to me. Like I want to feel like I'm, you know, connecting with my patients and giving them something, um, you know, tangible that they, that, that helps them along their, you know, life and their oral health and when you get into the kind of just the the, the game of it you know it it can be just a, a grind and sometimes i do just feel like 
man, I'm just, I'm just running like a, a hamster on a wheel here, you know? And th- that's what scares me about dentistry is that's what happened in medicine where you used to see your physician. Now you see the physician assistant or you see the nurse practitioner mm-hmm. and the doctor is actually in the back doing paperwork, dealing with insurance companies or, or uh, doing the paperwork that it, dentistry is starting to go that route. We have expanded function dental assistants. We have dental therapists. We have the, these other practitioners are starting to become more and more popular and it's going to get to the point where the dentist is you know sitting in the back doing you know paperwork or just sticking to the high value things that only they can do and pawning off the the expanded function dental assistant is going to put in all my fillings for me uh the uh, hygienist is going to do all my injections for me i'm just going to come in drill and leave and somebody else is going to take over and it's definitely following that medical route and that's uh we're, we're going to lose that one-on-one patient time that dentistry has traditionally had. Okay. Well, actually, it's funny. It's amazing. It's almost like you're reading my notes here. But let's talk about <laughs> dental therapy. I know. I actually have notes. I'm trying to be professional nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about dental therapists, right? So dental therapists are actually kind of big in the in Alaska, in North Dakota, right? So now the question for you guys is, and lady, I apologize, is – now, this is where dentistry is going, right? Do you think that having dental therapists is basically uh, an issue that we brought upon ourselves? Because guess what? A lot of people don't want to go to those rural areas and people need help. It's true. So is this it's something true. that we brought upon ourselves and now we're complaining about it? It's kind of like saying, you know what? I don't want to work out. I don't want to do anything. And then when you get bigger, you blame everybody else. Oh, my job is the reason why I've gained all this weight. Or, man, why is that food so delicious? Well, that's why I gained all that weight, right? <laughs> are we, do, are we, we did this to ourselves. I don't, I don't think I've ever said why this food is so delicious. <laughs> I've said that many times. I'm like, this, this food is too good. This is why I'm gaining all this weight. <laughs> but do you guys think that dental therapists are basically a function of us not going into those rural areas? I don't. Uh, well, I take that back. Yes and no. Explain. Yes, because yes, because somebody has to do it, right? There are people who live in small towns, rural areas, where there might not be a dentist for 50 miles. They have to travel. It, it takes a lot for them to get to the dentist, so they don't go. Now, there's some personal responsibility that goes along with that, that we can talk about the importance that people put on place on their oral health and whether they think having teeth is important and all those kinds of things. Um, but you also have to consider that a lot of people, the majority of folks who are graduating from dental school are young people who are coming out with a lot of debt. Um, dental school has consistently, the price of dental school has consistently increased. It's increasingly difficult to go somewhere um, hang a shingle and immediately have a successful practice. So you have to go to where you're going to be able to be able to pay your bills. And where is that? That's urban, suburban areas. Um, I think there used to be the mantra, um, go rural. Everybody go rural. Well, I'm sorry. I don't want to live in Montana. Where I, <laughs> so you're, where you're I responsible now, for this issue. 
Right. <laughs> I blame Dr. Kendra. But where, where I live now or where I work is actually considered rural, but it is, um, it's a small town next to a, the third largest city in Georgia. It's right across the bridge from the third largest city in Georgia. So there are different levels of rural, but in places like Montana, there are not many people who are want who are going to want to sacrifice their 20s and 30s living in Ishabit, Montana. Is that a place? Um, it might be. <laughs> I, <live. laughs> you just made that up. I was like, Ishabit, that just sounds crazy. Okay, but, well, hold on for a and, second. And so, <laughs> hold on for a second. I want to, I want to, I want to hear this from um, the other two. So, Dr. Uh, Dumper, tell me, do you think it is dentist's fault or do you think it's actually um, the, the dental therapist? Who actually created the dental therapist, do you think? I think it's the government's fault oh. because yeah. Okay, go ahead. They, it, I, I think it all started when the government was willing to hand out basically whatever money we needed to go to dental school. So the dental school started looking at it as, well, why don't I raise my tuition? Because I'm going to get that money regardless. I have, you know, how many thousands of people applying to me? The government's going to give them whatever money they need to come to my school. I can make more money doing this. So the price of tuition goes up because the government's willing to fund that education. And then it gets to the point where you have to go to an area where you can make a lot of money to pay back these loans. If you don't, a lot of us get into dentistry because we want to help people. And I would have, I like the idea of going out helping people, helping the underserved. I've done mission trips to Honduras. I've helped out at Mission of Mercy. But to move to these areas where you can't necessarily be profitable, you have to rely on, again, some kind of government assistance program to either pay back your loans for you or pay you a stipend to live in these areas. I think it all started whenever the government started handing out money to attract people and other businesses, such as dental schools, took advantage of that free money, and that's kind of where another business model evolved, which is a dental therapist, which is an expanded function dental assistant. That has evolved. Lawmakers have allowed that to uh, be approved, and a, a cheaper model is coming in to serve that area of need. So it, it I initially blame the government, but it's also, you know, on the dentist's for not being able or not wanting to or being able to go out into these areas. Let's talk about the kind of um, quality of dentistry that we're doing nowadays, okay? And when I say that, because you made a point that, you know, we're out here to try to serve people. We're out here to try to help, and, and, and we have the best intention to help and serve people. I don't know if I believe that anymore. I don't know if we're not – dentists aren't more focused on paying their student loans down and, and trying to make a good living. You know, Dr. Kreda, go ahead and talk about that if you if you have an opinion about. I mean, I mean, uh, I don't think. I, I think more and more now, it's it's rare that you see somebody get out of dental school, and you know, not already you know have this this feeling of like this gigantic uh, weight on their back that they need to start producing a lot of money. And uh, I don't know how it was when you guys were in dental school, but uh, for me, every time that you know. It would come around, you're signing up for loans or whatever it may be. 
the thing that I heard more than anything was, don't worry, you're Dennis, you're going to be making excellent money. Don't worry about how much you're taking out now. And it was just, you know, as soon as I got out, I was just like, man, what, what a load of crap. Like, they're telling me don't worry about it. But yet, you know, the amount that I'm paying is, is, is getting inflated. And to me, it was excessive. But now when I have associates in my practice, I, I will say the average one comes out of school owing, you know, I have one who, who graduated from uh, NYU, $800,000 is a lot of money to have on wow. your back, you know? Oh. And how do you tell a new grad who, you know, barely knows, uh, you know, which end of the handpiece to use, you know, go in the real world and make a ton of money, like, immediately? Like, I think it's just, there's, there's no way they're going, it, it, it's like a, a recipe for a disaster. And, you know, there are places, you know, that need, that need dentists. But, um, to be quite honest, I mean, they're not going to get any of those new dentists who want to go into, they don't need, they don't, they don't even know where to start. They just know they need to be where the money is or where everyone else is. They're not going to go and try to start a practice from, from the ground up in the middle of nowhere. Um, and I, I feel like, you know, it's just, in this hobby, I feel, I, and I feel like the, the government kind of brought this on to lower the price of of the industry. Com, to be completely honest, I think serving the the underserved is is what they use it as. But at the end of the day, if you get a dental, you know, practitioner or whatever uh, ancillary role you want to call it, um, that does a crown or a filling uh, for half the price that a dentist would, it, it, to say that that's not going to affect the the overall price of dentistry is like I think we're lying to ourselves like eventually the insurances will say well I can just get somebody else to do it a doctor doesn't have to do it you know and then we're even going to be in even more of a headache so um, it is something that I'm very concerned about okay well let's talk about this then um so as we know dental uh dentistry is actually getting to the point where there's a lot of corporations right they make up about 25 percent of dentistry right now but corporations actually produce, I want to say, what is it, 40 to 50% of the, the dentistry produced in, in a year? So they yep. make up 25%, but they produce about 40 to 50% of dentistry in the U.S., okay? So whose fault is that? Do you think that it's the the tuition? And and like you said, Dr. Cradock, you're not going to get out Oh, and eight hundred thousand dollars, and say I'm going to open more another practice, which then adds on another five hundred thousand dollars to your debt. Right? Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. So then the question is: Do you think that dentist? Do you think dental schools created corporations because now students had no choice but to work for somebody that's going to guarantee them a certain amount of money, or do you think that just the idea that dentists are afraid to open their own practice is what corporations kind of feed off of? We'll start with Doctor uh, Dumpert. I, I think the corporations have uh, catered to a millennial mindset. Uh, millennials seem to have disrupted a, a lot of traditional industries. They've we, we've killed malls, we've killed other long-standing businesses that have been around for a while. And millennials are a lot more mobile. We're uh, we don't like to be don't seem to want to be tied down, we'll move around every couple of years. And if you're a dentist coming out, once you buy a practice, you're, you know, that's your responsibility. That's your baby. You're going to be there for 30 or 40 years where 
if I can come out of dental school and somebody's going to give me a guaranteed paycheck where I don't have to worry about, uh, am I going to be able to pay my loan this month or not? And I can just do the dentistry, walk away, not have to worry about business because I wasn't taught that in dental school anyway. Uh, plus I can leave whenever I want to, and maybe I want to, uh, go to a different city or, uh, you know, I, met somebody online and I'm going to go live with that person in their city. Like it, 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 it makes it easy for me to you know move around a lot more versus the traditional, uh, you know, 30 years ago, I came out of dental school. I set up shop in this town and I'm going to stay here uh, for the next 30 years. I, I think it's the whole changing mindset of the population that uh, has allowed that corporate model to, to flourish. Okay. Uh, and and Ken, Kendra, you don't deal with corporations because you don't work in a corporation or have ever worked in a corporation. But do you see work that's coming into your office from patients that have gone to corporations? I don't necessarily see the work. I see the treatment plan. Okay. Talk about that. Um, so patients often come in and say, you know, I'm coming here because I went to XYZ place and they wanted $15,000. They wanted to get a $20,000 treatment plan that I can't afford. What do you recommend? Can you take a look? Um, a lot of, and I, I honestly did not believe this whole idea of, um, that some corporations give people very similar diagnoses every time, but I often see a lot of patients who come in and they say, yeah, they told me I have periodontal disease and I've got 15 cavities and I need crowns on all of them. And of course, for me, being at a community health center, I have very limited, a very limited scope of practice that we do at my center. So, you know. But what happens, sometimes what, what I, happens when you look in the patient's mouth? Do you see the same treatment? Do you say, yeah, they're absolutely correct? Or do you see an overcharge? A lot of times I see an overcharge. Okay. Like I had a, for example, I had a patient who came in and told me that he was told he had periodontal disease. He had pockets everywhere. He needed SRP and all this stuff. And so I do my probing depths and he's like, they didn't even do that. Wait, you just they didn't do Are you that. Serious? <laughs> yeah. Like they they didn't even do that. And so I'm getting no pockets. He's at like two, three millimeter, you know, your regular everyday um probings. And I'm like, ah, let's take some X rays because they didn't want to give him his X rays either. So I took you which, know, which by the way own. which by the way That's sorry, against the law, me. isn't it? Yeah, that's against the law. They yeah. have well, to give you and your I told X-ray. him that, you know, you you can they may make you pay for them, but they have to, you know, you got to get them. But anyway, so I took my own. No big, no big deal. He was fine with it. Um, and see zero bone loss anywhere. Maybe a couple of small cavities. And I'm like, I don't see what they saw. This is what I see. It's up to you to do with the information what you will, but this is what I see. So I try not to, you know, throw anybody under the bus or be, or tell them, dude, they just lied to you to get some money out of you, but. Um, so I see that quite often, particularly as it relates to Terio. Um, yeah, the sheer amount of, um, things that, that folks come in and tell me that they've heard that I don't necessarily see the same. Um, and it, it's frustrating to have to tell folks 
well, I see something different because now they're in a position where they have to determine, am I lying or is this other person making up stuff? And I don't ever want to put another clinician, a colleague, you know, in a position where they are having to explain themselves or making, you know, sounding like they're overcharging the patient, which I think they are. Okay. Well, um, hold on for a second then. So, Dr. Cradock, now to you. Um, you actually are in partnership, right, uh, with a corporate mm-hmm. entity. Right. Basically, yep. they they help you with marketing and stuff like that. Have you seen or do you have to deal with any kind of pressure to, um, you know, uh, treatment plan, uh, ridiculous stuff like what, you know, uh, Kendra is talking about? Or And have you seen that with maybe other uh, corporate entities that they've come to your office and you're like, this is crazy what they're saying over there? Yeah, uh, I mean, in the partnership I'm at now, one of the reasons I'm there is because there's zero, um, like, clinical, I don't even know what you want to call it, um, like, no one is, is chart auditing me and telling me, oh, you should do this and you should do that, um, which I appreciate. In other corporate models that I've been in, um, that were full corporate models, that's exactly what happened. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there would be a uh, a lead doc who would basically you know, everything I treatment planned would basically retreatment plan and say, well, you should re- you should treat it as like this and this and that. And even sometimes where I wasn't the one who diagnosed the treatment, but I was I was the one who was supposed to carry out the treatment. That's what really made me uncomfortable. Um, you know, when somebody else is basically telling you this is a, this is a crown and I disagree, or this is a root canal I disagree, or vice versa. Um, wow. I mean, which is part of the reason why. I left and, you know, and I, I really thought at first that I was like the only one. <laughs> I thought it was like this, uh, sick, you know, oh, they just think that I'm just weak minded. And so that's why they're, they're trying this on me. But the more and more I would ask around with people in the same situation, it, it was, a, it was the same for all of us. Now, now I work very clo- um, close proximity to a corporate office that's very similar. And I would say at least once a week, I have the same argument over. Periodontal disease, and they say the same thing. They're like, "Oh, they didn't even check my gums," um, which I find amazing that people can just diagnose perio just, you know, just by looking. Oh, yep, that's perio. Don't even need to probe it, you know. <laughs> well, let me uh, let me tell the pay everybody that's <laughs> listening. You have to actually check in order to diagnose. You have to actually probe around. So if no one probes you, just walk out the office immediately. Uh, Kyle, I want to ask you. I want to ask you this, okay? And and maybe we're, maybe we're being unfair, guys. Maybe we're being unfair. So Kyle, I want you're 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 actually practicing in a smaller area, okay? I'm not sure if you have any uh, corporate um, dentistry entities around you, but I want to know: Do you see the same kind of uh, upcharge in private practice from like maybe another dentist uh, who has their own practice? Do you see that with with those people as well? I I don't. Uh, I I have had patients come in with a treatment plan that they've brought from another office to get a second opinion. The, the closest corporate office is probably 40 to 45 minutes away from my office. So okay. it's not, they haven't come into my area. Um, I, I, I encourage people to get second opinions. They, they come in and get a, a second opinion from me. And it, I, I think the the saying is, if you put a hundred dentists in a room, there you're going to come up with a hundred different opinions on how to fix something. Right. Uh, so there's, you know, I I don't expect to agree with uh, everything another dentist does, and I don't expect them to agree with everything I do. 
But in my area, I, I don't see a whole lot of inflated treatment plans um, that I would consider unethical or, or along those lines. Um, and that might be just because I'm in a, a smaller town that uh, there, there's a little bit, we're a little shielded from that, uh, that atmosphere of trying to soak the patient for what it's worth because you know, these are patients that in a small town, I'm going to see them in the grocery store. I'm going to see them at Walmart. Uh, and you do build, I, I'm the, I build relationships with my patients. So I sleep good at night because I let them, you know, know what I see. And I, I truly look out for what their best interests are. Uh, and the treatment plans I, I see coming in are I, nothing outrageous. Um, but I, I have to support, I, I have to, you know, I, I did spend a year at Heartland Dental, uh, and I actually had a pretty good experience with them. They never dictated treatment towards me. They were very good with, you know, pushing education. Uh, but they would sit me down and say, look, this is your, uh, these are your numbers. Uh, this is how many resurface fillings that you've done. Or this is how many four surface fillings done. Basically, how how big is the filling that I've done? And this is uh, with a, a four surface, a pretty decent size filling. Other dentists would have recommended a crown. So maybe think about that next time you're treatment planning. But they they would try to push it a little bit to just show you how you compare to other dentists. But they never sat me down and said you have to do more crowns or you have to treatment plan more scaling and root planning. So uh, I, the corporation I worked for was one of the good ones. That, there was that autonomy for me to make my own treatment plans. Okay. Uh, let me ask another question. So, Kendra, I want to know, mm. do you think that dentists, I mean, meaning that people that are coming out of school and dentists in general, do you think that they actually know what they're putting in people's mouths? Because I honestly believe that a lot of dentists just do something because maybe a dental rep came in and said, hey, try this new fancy machine or try this new fancy uh, product. Do you think that dentists actually know what they're putting in people's mouths? Interesting wow. question. It is, right? It is an interesting question because we all take dental materials, right? We go through and we, we should know. Should right. we know? No, yet? but my question is, do you think but now that you're working do, in yeah, do you think that they actually know what they're putting in people's mouths, or do you think they go more off of, you know, what the rep recommends? I think they go off hot new stuff. Okay. So um, there's a push toward being up on the latest and greatest, right? Everybody's using lasers, or everybody's using this hot new composite, or everybody's using this hot new material. So um, it's not necessarily do I know what it is versus do I know how to use it. So if somebody shows me how to use it and I think it works great or it works great in my hands, then I'm going to incorporate it because I think it's great. Or did I go to, you know, I went to this CE course and I got to use this material, so I want to use it. Yay, let's do it. Okay, Dr. Kradock, same question. You know, everyone wants to be modern, right? And so when you go out of school, I don't necessarily think the materials that they are present for you are, you know, what you're going to actually be using in practice. And so there is this kind of leap of faith that you take, um, you know, wanting to try something new uh, and, and and hearing only the good of it, uh, but not really having, you know, and, and at the, you know, I always ask for, you know, what are the, what are the studies on it? Like, I want to see, you know, how this is, how this has worked, but, 
I'm still kind of at the mercy of whoever's presented me that information. And, um, you know, it's always interesting whenever I go to a C course or something like that. I, I love how, you know, the ones that I really pay attention to are when they're like, oh, you know, I have no funding for this C course. I'm not sponsored by anybody. Because I'm always like, okay, well, this is more unbiased. But I definitely went to ones that were sponsored. And, you know, they told me only great things of their product. And, you know, in my hands, it didn't work that well. And so I do think that there's a, a, a big divide as far as, like, why are we using things? You know, are we right. using it just because someone else is using it? Or, are, I mean, are these facts really true? Because sometimes you'll get competitors, and both of them say their product is the best thing since sliced bread. And when you get one rep in there, they'll show you all the failures of the other brand. And you're like, how can all of this be true? Like, you know, what? who's, who's really lying to me? And it kind of leads you in the middle. So Okay, Kyle. Um, I, I don't think we know what we're putting in people's mouths other, unless you're putting metal or amalgam in there. Uh, we all want to do what's best for the patient and we want the long-term studies that show the materials are going to hold up long-term in somebody's mouth where it goes from freezing cold to boiling hot to being attacked by acid and sugar and all that other stuff. And the only material that we have that has stood the test of time really is amalgam or metal fillings. Uh, anything else, all the composites that are on the market, they're changing. There's hundreds of composites to choose from, the white fillings, uh, and uh, their formulations change every year because it's all proprietary information. They're trying to make something new and great and improve on everything, and the, the products just haven't been around long enough and when the studies, when, when they're on the market long enough for 5, 10, 15 years, well, that product is now obsolete and they've already moved on to the fifth or sixth or seventh generation. So there, there's no way to know exactly what's in it because it's all, I, I feel like, protected proprietary information. And you just have to uh, try to get uh, your uh, best material that works in your hands and hope that the company that's selling to you isn't lying to you about anything. Okay. Um, one, and I, want, I want to ask this other question and, and please just, when it comes to what patients want versus what's good for them, how do you tiptoe huh. between that line? You know, and I'll start with Kendra again. You know, sometimes patients will come to you and say, oh, I want, you know, I want bleaching and, and you, their teeth look like garbage, right? And you're like, well, you have other issues that you need to take care of first. But like, no, no, I just want my teeth to look my, my teeth to look nice, right? So how do you say, how do you basically tiptoe between the line of this is what's good for you and this is what I'm going to do versus, you know, uh, what you want me to do? And then are you afraid to lose that patient because they might go to the next person and they're going to do whatever the patient wants them to do? How do you tiptoe that line? Well, I'm in a very unique situation in that I can legit say we don't do that here. So here are the things that I can do for you. If you want to do something else, I will be glad to refer you to a general dentist who is more comprehensive and can offer you that treatment. Um, I also feel like I'm unique in that I can actually spend time educating my my patients. So I try very hard to make sure that they understand the condition of their oral health um, and not just oh, I know you're worried about your smile, but what about the fact that you can't chew at all? Let's right. talk about that. Right. 
um, surely you want to eat. So I try and frame it um, in ways that gets to um, makes it a health an overall health issue and not just a cosmetic issue because of course tons of people come to me because of their cosmetics and they want me to save teeth that are beyond savable. So we act, you know, and I've had patients cry in the chair when I've told them, I realize that this is a lot, but you're looking at losing all of your teeth because of these reasons, but I'm here to help you get back to where you want to be. So let's start, let's take the baby step in acknowledging, you know, that your teeth are jacked up and, <laughs> How can we fix that moving forward? Um, okay. And it, it's worked for some people and other people are like, yeah, give me the referral. Cause I, I don't really care about the fact that my back teeth are broken down and abscess. I want to be able to smile in my wedding photos. So got you. Okay. Dr. Crater, <laughs> how do you balance that out from what patients want versus what you think is best for them? And how do you, you know what I mean? I mean, I, I always try to come from, uh, you know, what would I do for a family member? If it's something I would never let them do, I try to express that to them. You know, that patient that has one teeth, one tooth left in their mouth and they want it whitened and veneer and you're like, you're focused on this and not everything else. Uh, it's, it sometimes it's like baffling, but you know, patients, patients do have wants that sometimes I feel like if you meet them halfway, you can gain some trust. And overall, they'll they'll start to get some of the dentistry that they actually need. So mm-hmm. I, I'm not so hard pressed as to you know if a patient comes in and they have a tooth that's bombed out, it's you know completely obliterated, and I even want to extract it or or you know try to save it with a root canal or crown or whatever. But they but they're more con, con, concerned with their front tooth, and like you said, like smiling for a wedding. I'm definitely open to fixing that front tooth, you know, first to get some you know to get some trust and to, and to have them understand that I get what they're saying. But I always tell them, as soon as we're done with this, I really need to fix this back tooth because it, it actually can, you know, do a lot of damage to your oral health. And I, I notice I get a lot more, I get a lot more yeses when I approach it that way. But um, I think it, it is very hard to, to kind of juggle both of them because I think if you if you don't even pay it any mind, you you might lose a patient that may never get that treatment. So. Okay. What about you, Kyle? That that's something I struggle with because uh, as dentists, we're we're held to a, a do no harm, but as a business owner, you're held to you know traditionally the the patient or the the customer is always right. Right. And uh, you know, I have a patient who's eighty some years old. He has a, a front tooth that had a root canal done to it. it he's had the root canal retreated. He's had um, root canal surgery on it, and yet he still has an abscessed tooth that's leaking infection into his mouth, and he doesn't want to lose the tooth. He doesn't want to pay to have an implant done. He doesn't want to have the other teeth aren't strong enough to hold a bridge. Uh, he doesn't want to go without a tooth. So it gets to the point where by doing no harm, you can only watch an infection for so long before it becomes supervised neglect. Right. Uh, and that could turn into an issue for them versus you don't want to kick somebody out of your practice that has been there for, you know, for a long time because they're not following your recommendations. And legally, if uh, he would happen to die from an abscessed tooth and they come back and say, you've been watching this tooth for years and years, 
you know, this is your fault. It, it's a, a hard line to uh, sometimes get patients to understand with that. You know, that's I've started incorporating, you know, this is you're going to sign this consent form that you're going against my advice and you understand that, you know, you have this condition and it's your choice not to treat this. Uh, I'm sure you run into it as a periodontist where uh, somebody just wants a cleaning. They have no idea they had gum disease and trying to convince them this is gum disease. This is, you know, linked to other health concerns. Uh, this is doing damage to your body. Uh, it's uh, right. education I find is th- the best way. And the more I see that person and I, I I'm hoping the more I talk to them and the more I educate them over um, several months or even years, they'll eventually come around to my way of thinking and finally say yes at some point before it gets to be, uh, you know, a, a, a severe problem. Yeah, you know, and I will say that um, dentistry is very difficult in the sense that most of the problems that people have, they can't see, right? They can't see gum disease. They can't see a tooth that has a cavity in there until it's way too late, right? And so our right. our biggest battle seems to be showing them the, invin- the invisible. That's what, you know, right. it's, we're making this up. Or if they don't trust you, they're like, oh, you're just saying that. How come my last dentist never said that, right? Well, maybe your last dentist was doing Something that, you know, said, hey, you know what, let's ignore that. Let's just keep a watch on it, even if it was going against what's best for you, you see. Uh, And so my last question, and then we'll stop here because, you know, honestly, this has been great, but we've been going very way too long. Uh, (laughs) I need to go to bed. (laughs) (laughs) The last thing that I would like to ask is when it comes to being sued, a lot of dentists get that threat a lot. I'm going to sue you or this is going to, you know, so do you feel like dentists? have now stopped basically being adventurous, being, you know, let me go out of my way a little bit for patients because of the fact that they feel like they're going to be sued. I don't care who wants to start this, but, I mean, this is a topic that I know will end on here, but do you feel like dentists aren't doing what's, what they are trained to do or what they know to be the best for patients because of the fact that, hey, I might be taking a little bit of a, you know, a, a gamble here, but I also don't want to be sued, so let me just take the the course of maybe don't do anything at all. I was going to say, Walter, uh, Dr. Aka, you have a better chance of pushing the boundaries more than a general dentist because you have the specialist title. Okay. Uh, if I'm trying to push the boundaries as a general dentist and things don't go right, uh, I, I don't have quite the uh, certificates behind me as a uh, specialist does to really defend myself when they should, they would probably just say you should have spent it, sent them to a specialist. I see. Mm-hmm. Dr. Crater? Uh, I mean, I, it's definitely something that's on my mind when I'm meeting a patient. I really try to assess kind of what type of patient they are. Um, I've, I've never been sued, but I definitely have, you know, had people threaten that, uh, over, you know, anything. A patient I didn't even see tried to basically say they would sue me because I wouldn't see them, which I thought was ridiculous. Because <laughs> uh, they were like an hour late and they still wanted to be seen. They were like, well, I'm going to sue you because my insurance says you have to see me. And I'm like, that's not how it works. But anyway, um, uh, no, but it is something that's always in the back of my mind, especially, you know, you get, uh, you know, I see cases or, you know, patients that may, 
you know, have something in their smile that I know I can fix or make better. Um, but if they've had previous experiences or negative experiences, or I get that kind of feeling in my gut that this might not, if, if anything, you know, if there's any kinks along the, the, the road in this case, you know, this patient may just, you know, basically want to get their money back. Or even if I do a good job, they, you know, their, their expectations are, you know, so high that, you know, this may become a legal matter. It makes me, it definitely makes me, you know, say, okay, well, you should go somewhere else and that rather than take that risk, you know, and on cases that I, I do think, okay, I could, I could probably do this, but the fear of it going south on me outweighs me like wanting to actually even, even start it. Wow. Okay. And then yeah. Kendra, you're the last one. You work in uh, public health services, but do you mm-hmm. have to still deal with this? Um, not to the degree that I think you do in private practice. Um, most of my patients um, are coming in in pain, and they just want somebody to help them out of pain. They get more upset when I tell them that um, they have to go to a specialist. They want me um, they don't necessarily want to sue me. I think that the issue is that they think I should be able to fix any and everything because they can't afford to come to you as a specialist or um, Dr. Dumper or um, Dr. Cradock as um, private practitioners. So I should be the one to do it because they don't want to have to pay them um, to do it. So there's definitely anger, but I also, um, I'm quick to tell patients, I know my limitations and this is beyond the scope of my practice. You need to go to someone else who is more thoroughly trained to handle your issue. Um, and it is not, it's so I can sleep at night. I'm not afraid necessarily of being sued. Um, but it's so I can sleep at night because I think we all want to do what's best for our patients. And I don't know that they necessarily think that we are looking out for their best interests. I think um, like we were saying earlier, that dentistry has become to be looked at as a commodity, which is why people are so quick to sue um, versus it being a healthcare model. So um, it's unfortunate, really. Wow. I'd, I'd like to piggyback on Dr. Cradock. Uh, in my area, the, the closest prosthodontist is probably at least a two-hour drive. So when patients come in when with an extremely worn dentition where they need full mouth rehabilitation, crowns on every tooth, I know I have the skills to be able to do that, but I also know that that's twenty, thirty, forty thousand $40,000 treatment plan, mm-hmm. and if something goes wrong, somebody's not going to sue me over a $1,000 crown. If something goes wrong with a thirty or forty thousand dollar case, that's where you're getting into lawsuits because we're talking serious money. And because of that, I that is something that you know I try to refer patients out to. They don't want to drive two hours and it, they slowly lose their teeth. And I that is something I'm too scared to attempt because I know if something goes wrong, that's probably going to be a lawsuit. Wow. Okay. Well, I mean, honestly, we're going to end here, but I think in general, we have a lot of um, inconsistency in dentistry now. We have a lot of, you know, fears in dentistry. We have a lot of um, unusual situations that are happening within our own field. 
and I think it's a it's a beginning here. I think there's a beginning to kind of talk about what's actually going on and for people to listen and know that dentistry may be going in a direction that medicine, optometry, you know, uh, uh, pharmacy has been going, where you are now taking the power away from the clinician and giving it to entities that may not be out for the best interest of the patient. So I honestly think patients might want to really think about that the next time they want to sit there and go, oh, well, I trust my insurance more than I trust my doctor, or I trust this entity more than I trust my doctor. You know, I mean, would that would that be some, a good summary for what we just talked about? Agreed. Yeah. 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 All right, yeah. cool. Well, I'm, I, man, that was that was easy. Okay, uh, <laughs> way too easy. Well, <laughs> uh, thank you, thank you so much, everybody, Doctor Petit, Doctor Dumper, Doctor Cradock. I really do. I mean, honestly, appreciate everybody coming here, and I love the fact that we have such a diverse group to talk about this. And I, I truly think that we'll get more questions, and maybe we'll get together again and talk more about this. Is that all right? Absolutely. Sure. Let's do it. Oh man, thank you guys so much. Go enjoy yourself. Thank you. I appreciate you guys. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Tooth Be Told. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at realdentist with an S at gmail.com. That's realdentist, R E A L, dentist with an S at gmail.com. Remember, the opinions on this podcast are just that our professional opinions. The final decision about your health should be made by you and a trusted dental professional.